They said to him, John's disciples, often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise they'll have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields, and his disciples began to pick some ears of corn, rub them in their hands, and eat the grain. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also, gave some of his he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he'll heal anyone on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked round at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Hello again, um, please do keep your Bibles open at Luke chapter 5 and 6 so we can um, yeah, dig deeper into to what God has to say through this passage. Now I've brought something with me today, it's uh, my favourite dishcloth, there you go, but unfortunately you can see it's got a giant rip in the middle, uh, it's not much use anymore. So I ended up, I went and bought a new one and cut a bit out of it and thought perfect, this is going to do the job, I'll patch it up and it'll be good as new. So, a little bit of tape. I can't sew, so I thought tape would do the job. Um, stick it back together. Good as new, right? Or not? Or not? Perhaps not. Uh, it's not a great fix, is it? And the trouble is, I've completely ruined the new one as well. <laughs> I've, ruined, I've even cut two big holes out of the new one. <laughs> it's not a solution that works with that sort of problem. Uh, and do you know what you see in this passage, Jesus using a parable like this one, like that, to explain something really important uh, in the passage. Uh, he challenges the attitude of the Pharisees uh, and what they're thinking about, about him, who he is, what he's here to do. So that's what we're going to be thinking about uh, today and thinking about why solutions like that don't really work. Uh, we are still quite early in the ministry of Jesus. Uh, we've been traveling uh, around Galilee. He's been teaching uh, lots of amazing things. He's been doing amazing things, healing people, uh, calling his first disciples. We saw that last week in Luke chapter, 20, Luke chapter 5 from verse 27, calling Levi, 
uh, to be one of his special disciples who would be with him right to the end. Uh, but Levi was a tax collector, a sinner, a traitor. And the Pharisees were deeply unimpressed with Jesus' choice, saying, what are you doing? Why are you eating and drinking with people like that? And remember, if you were here, Jesus says in Luke 5.31, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Uh, so Jesus is very clear. This is why I'm here. I'm here to, to help people in need. And so we're going we're gonna to carry on. What we see is actually really the dialogue continues into, uh, into our passage today. Uh, the attitude of the Pharisees and their, their kind of grumbles, their complaints. Uh, and there's lots to actually learn from this as well. But when it comes to the Pharisees, really their, their attitude to Jesus is like this. They say, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Uh, we see that in verse 33. That the Pharisees go up to Jesus and say, look, our disciples and John's disciples, they fast and pray but yours are feasting and they're even eating and drinking with sinners what's going on Jesus that's clearly not the right way to do it fasting uh, not not eating was a really important part of that culture uh, the Pharisees did it twice a week twice a week they would they would fast uh, and other points in the year were, you know points of where that they would remember what's going on they would remember it with fasting so it was a serious expression of worship. It was important in that culture. And Pharisees saying, why aren't you doing that? Why aren't the followers doing what they should? It was so, such a, a normal part of their lives. Uh, it would be a little bit like, I don't know, I guess, I guess today, say, a church decided to stop singing. Everyone would be like, why? What's going on? That, that's, that's so unusual. It's not right. Uh, the Pharisees saying, what's going on? We'll see what Jesus says in a minute. But let's look at the other issues they have there in chapter 6 as well. They have issues with the Sabbath day. That was the day of rest, the day of worship that was commanded in the Old Testament. Uh, and was really one of the key complaints that the Pharisees have against Jesus. And we see what's going on. If you look down at verse 1, they're going through a field on the Sabbath and they rub the grain in their hands to kind of get the, the, the kernels and the grain and eat that. They didn't have access to, uh, you know, like snack bars, so they would just take it straight, straight from the plants and, uh, and eat it when they were hungry. But that was classed as work by the Pharisees. That was work, what they're doing. And you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath at all. They had 39 categories of work that you weren't allowed to do. And they say, come on, Jesus, what's going on? This is not okay. They accuse him and his disciples. They're trying to discredit him for this. And then in the account from verse 6, he goes into a synagogue and is teaching, and then he heals a man on the Sabbath. And again, that is something that was not lawful, not what they were supposed to do. And they're looking for a reason to, to accuse him. They're trying to, to get at him. And they are very angry at what he does. So they say, you're doing it all wrong. They were so focused on keeping the law, keeping all of these commands and the extra rules that have kind of been added over time. And it had become just this kind of outward thing, external obedience, and all about how they look to other people. And Jesus' response, that's kind of really what, what reveals really important stuff for us to see today. Here's his, his reaction is this. Who I am changes everything. Who I am changes everything. Last week we saw him explain that he's like a doctor. He has come to save the sick, come to save sinners, come to save those who need help. 
And here he uses two other names to kind of explain why he's here, who he was. Firstly, he uses the language of a wedding. He says, uh, it talks about himself as a bridegroom. And saying the friends of a bridegroom, they, they do not uh, fast on the wedding day. You know, the, the best men, the groomsmen. They feast, they celebrate, because it, it, it's a moment of joy. And Jesus is saying, that's who I am. I'm here, and it's a time of joy. It's a time of celebration. His ministry is one of new life, uh, of hope. A new era, really, of grace and love. A new way to come to God. And so Jesus, now's the time to celebrate, to feast. Not the time to fast. He's clear in verse 35, though, that there is a time that is coming where they will fast. The bridegroom will be taken from them, it says. A shocking image, almost just being like torn away from the wedding. He's talking about his death. He's talking about going to the cross. They don't see that yet. But he says there will come a time where they will fast, where they're waiting for him to return, essentially. Waiting for that ultimate wedding feast to come. Jesus is saying, who I am changes everything. There's, there's this new way of relating to God. And he, he gives these three parables to kind of stress the, the difference between the old and the new. Uh, the first in verse 36, I've already tried to sort of illustrate with my bad example of the cloths. Um, it's a foolish idea, isn't it? Trying to put a new piece of cloth, a new piece of uh, cloth on an old garment. Why, why would you do that? It doesn't work. It's a foolish idea. The second one, too, is a really bad idea. It talks about wineskins in verse 37. Now, wineskins were made of uh, animal skin, hide. You'd cure it, and you'd sew it up, and you'd store wine in it. And I know what you're thinking. I know you're thinking, I'm glad we've got glass bottles today. Can you imagine if we're still using hides to, to store wine? Uh, but you would never put new wine in an old wineskin because new wine is still fermenting. It's still kind of bubbling, and there's gas. It would expand. And if you've got some old, dry, kind of slightly brittle wineskin that's been drying out in the sun for too long, that can't stretch, you try and put new, in it, new wine in it, it would just rip and burst and it would leak everywhere and it would be ruined, it would be wasted. It's a destructive idea to, to try and mix the two, Jesus says. You need, new wine needs new wineskins. And then he's bought, he's bringing something new. And then verse... 39 is a strange one as well. Look at verse 39. No one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. Now that seems odd, doesn't it? Because he's just been saying how much better the new, the new bit is. All about, it's all about new. And then he says, but the old is best. And he's, he's kind of quoting a common phrase used at the time. Uh, it's, it's kind of poking fun at people who are unwilling to try something new. They're so convinced the old way is better that they don't want to try it. Imagine going around someone's house and they've still got a black and white television. Would you say, do you know that you can get colour TVs now? It's amazing. When you're watching snooker, you can work out what balls are which. I remember watching snooker on my granddad's black and white TV, that's what I'm saying that. But, but can you imagine that person going, no, I'm not interested. Why? I don't want that. This is clearly the best. This is clearly a better way. You think, oh, they're a bit foolish, aren't they? That's, uh, that's kind of what the Pharisees are doing with Jesus. They're, they're, they're so convinced that their ways are better. They don't want to hear what Jesus has to say. And Jesus is saying, look, you've got to understand. Your questions, the, even the very questions you're asking, show an old way of thinking, an old way of relating to God. A 
about it being kind of outward performance and you know, doing things to, to try and impress God. He's not here to kind of just change things a little bit. He is bringing something new, a different way, a better way to relate to God. And it's not based on kind of outward actions, it's based on our hearts. We talk about it as the new covenants. We remembered, the new, Jesus said, the new covenant in my blood. We had that during communion. The old way does not work because our sin is always there. We can't earn God's approval in the things we do. We can't earn God's approval by fasting carefully, by doing this, by doing that. Jesus says, you've got to come to me. I'm the one who can forgive sin. Remember, just a few verses before, he healed that paralyzed man and said, your sins are forgiven. And that really kind of kicked off the whole issue with the Pharisees. So you've got to come to Jesus to find that forgiveness. That's why he came, to pave a way for us to be with him uh, again. Remember when he died on the cross, the curtain in the temple, the kind of barrier between God and man, was torn in two. And this, this way was opened up. There was a new way to be with God, to come to the Father. The old way was no longer necessary. Something new was here. That's what the parables are talking about. And then the third is that warning, saying, look, are you do you really think the old system is better than trusting me, trusting my love? We'll see that play out in the gospel. We'll see him offering forgiveness and grace and mercy to people and facing more and more opposition from those in, in leadership. Those who didn't want to let go of the old ways, who ultimately rejected him, had him arrested, had him killed on the cross. And you'd think, wouldn't you, that they were sneering at that moment, thinking, ah, he was going to bring something new, and now he's dead. And that's a huge irony, because that's the exact moment that this new way is completed, that, that it's achieved. Jesus dying on the cross, the, the curtain torn in two. By rejecting him, they almost enable the new way to happen. So Jesus is saying, look, something new and good is here. It's really good. He is the bridegroom. He's also the Lord of the Sabbath. Let's look at what Jesus says. Remember their issues. Your disciples are working on the Sabbath. They shouldn't do that sort of thing. Look at verse 2 of chapter 6. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Jesus is referring back to 1 Samuel chapter 21, if you want to look it up. David and his troops with him eat the bread that was only supposed to be for the priests. It was a holy offering to God. It was off limits. But they were in great need. They, were, they, were, they, they needed these, this, this food, and the priest gives it to them. And Jesus is saying, that's, that's, that, that's the, the spirit of the Lord working, showing mercy to people in need, doing good. And that's exactly what happens in verse 6. Too in the second account of, of what happens on a, on a Sabbath, where this man with the, the shriveled hand is brought into the middle. That must have been a, a, a scary moment for him, perhaps. And Jesus challenges the people around him with this question. What's lawful? Is it better to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? There's two options there. There's no middle ground. There's no kind of, well, obviously it would be good, but you should come back tomorrow because that's kind of the, be the best way to do it. He says, no, to not help this man right now would be evil. And he heals this man. And they're silent and they're furious inside because it feels like they've been outsmarted. But Jesus does good. 
Uh, and then really the key thing, like, like, like we see here, the title that I've given it, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Verse 5, it's, it's kind of hinges between the two passages. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now this is a huge statement. Don't, don't miss how significant that is. Think about what the Sabbath was. It was a command from the Father. Part of the Ten Commandments. It was given by God. It was, it, it was that serious. It, it was really a clear, authoritative teaching from God. And here's Jesus saying, I am Lord of the Sabbath. I am in charge. I, I know, you know, I'm over the Sabbath. He's the King. He's the Lord. He's the one who made everything, including the Sabbath, including the law. And so he's saying, no, actually, I'm here to change things. I'm here to bring new life. I found a quote as I was preparing, which I thought summed it up really well, uh, from Tom Schreiner. It says this, The Pharisees were obsessed with a specific rule and failed to see that in their presence was their king, their messiah, and their deliverer. See, they're so focused on the minutiae. They've missed the bigger picture. They've missed Jesus, their messiah, in the room with them. And that helps us connect it back in, doesn't it, to the question about fasting in chapter 5. Jesus bringing this new way of relating to God, that it's about grace. It's not about outward appearance, it's, it's humble trust, it's turning to God away from our sin. The Pharisees refused to accept Jesus. They refused to, to, to consider this new covenant. The old is better, they said. They were proud of their position they were proud of their status, proud of their outward appearance, but their hearts were far from God. And that's, that's the crucial thing here, isn't it? That it's about the heart. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7 says this, People look at the outward appearance, that's what we do, isn't it? But the Lord looks at the heart, the Lord sees inside. That's the important bit. Our hearts reveal what we're really like. And that's why we don't really want anyone else to see what's going on in our hearts because they reveal how deeply we are sinful. And yet God sees that and doesn't throw us away. He, he, he welcomes us and loves us and saves us. If we come recognising that we are helpless, that we cannot save ourselves, if we come doing that, then everything is given to us. Jesus dies in our place and he gives us life and forgiveness and hope. We are declared right with God. We are saved by grace, not by what we do. It's just that simple. We trust him to be saved. We don't try and do it on our own. Uh, any obedience that we do, it kind of, it's our gratitude for his love. It's to say thank you. It's not to, 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 to earn his approval. That's done. It's completed. We don't have to worry. We cannot be saved any more than we have already been saved by him. But, there is an aspect of obedience, isn't there, when it comes to faith. Jesus is saying to his disciples, come and follow me. So how do we follow Jesus without becoming Pharisees that just get carried away by just looking at all the, the laws and, and, and just missing grace? We think about how we obey from the heart. And we do need to remember that, don't we, that there are things for us to, to obey. Think about the picture Jesus gives of the, the new wine and the wineskins. Uh, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. He's saying, look, the old structures, the old Old Testament things that are passing away with my arrival, but there are still structure, there's still uh, things you will need to do, there's still a way to follow me, to lay down your life for me. It's not like, here's new wine and nothing to keep it in. There is something, there's form here, there's a way to follow me. 
And it's his instructions, it's his commands, it's what he calls us to do. And it is to obey in response to the gospel. That's what we seek to do as a church, isn't it? To, 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 to look at God's word and, and look at what we're called to do and, and seek to do it in his strength. Not, not to earn his approval, but because he loves us. But let's be honest, if we're not careful, it's good things and right things can become too important to us. Become too vital as somehow kind of proving our faith. Um, there's a time in London where a, uh, one of the regulars of the church came into the service in a kind of string vest and really tight shorts. Uh, it was a very hot summer's day. Uh, and he, let's just say he was very much noticed when he came through the door. I don't think anyone quite knew where to look or what to say. But you kind of think, if, uh, if the Pharisees would go, why isn't he dressed like everyone else? What's, what's going on there? Surely he should put a shirt on, right? And there's questions about decency, fine. But it's like, is the way we dress too important? Is there a kind of unwritten rule, like you've got to dress this way, you've got to dress that way, that actually could stop someone coming into church? Is that become too important? Uh, when I was at university, a, um, a Christian rap artist came to uh, do some school's work with the church, and then on Sunday they kind of put this stage up, and he kind of led the, the worships, music, and it was loud. It was incredibly loud and very different to what you might normally expect. And again, on my side, I'm like, is this, is this right? This doesn't, this feels a bit weird. This, this isn't the way it's supposed to be, is it? But actually, you could tell he worshipped God and his lyrics were wonderful. Was I thinking, you've got to do things a certain way. You've got to do certain music, certain songs to really be faithful. Uh, an example from the, one of the commentaries I was reading, uh, he says, well, when it comes to quiet times, you know, reading my Bible and praying each day, I was told I had to do it in the morning. You must do it before anything else. You must do it in the morning before you start your day. And there's wisdom to that, isn't there? That's a good thing to do if you can. But it's not, it's not a law. It's not required. It's not an essential thing. There was a guy in my last church who got up at three o'clock in the morning to get to work. Am I going to tell him, you've got to read your Bible before you go to work? You should be getting up at two o'clock. Come on. Where's your devotion? That's not what this is for, is it? It's like it just becomes a sort of tick box rather than something that is for our good. Are we trying to meet with Jesus and, uh, and fix our eyes on him? Or are we trying just to kind of show how spiritual we are? There's a few examples. There's loads of things, aren't there, that can be good and right and wise. But if they become too important and too vital... They become ways that we try and somehow, you know, subconsciously probably, earning approval with God. I wonder if there's anything that you're aware of today. Maybe there's things we need to be aware of as a church. Maybe there's things we need to be aware of as individuals. We need God's help to kind of correct our attitude and humble us and remember grace. But why don't we actually, let's, let's think it for a bit more actually and think, what about fasting, what about Sabbath? Because those, those are the questions in the passage, aren't they? Does that mean they're not important? Does that mean we shouldn't do them? What about fasting? Well, Jesus says, doesn't he? His followers will fast. A time will come where that will happen. So in some sense, yeah, fasting is good. It's right for us to do today. Uh, maybe when there's a time of need, when there's a time where we need to focus in prayer or, or, or fix our eyes on Jesus again. But it's not a test of faith. It's not a command. It's not kind of doing it just for the sake of it to, to, be, to impress other people. It's there to help draw our eyes to God. And I, I get the feeling in our culture it's a bit of a lost art. It's something we rarely do, if at all. 
this is a quote I found as I was preparing as well. Fasting is for this world, for stretching our hearts to get fresh air beyond the pain and trouble around us. It's for the battle against sin and weakness inside us. We express our discontent with our sinful selves and our longing for more of Christ. That's a really helpful perspective, isn't it? Fasting can be for our good. To deny a meal, for example, so that you can not get distracted, but, but fix your eyes on Jesus. Maybe there are other ways to fast. I know technology is a big one. Can you imagine turning your phone off for a day? Just turn it off, put it in a drawer. No access to the news, social media, anything like that. Have a fast from it. Don't, don't, don't spend your time on that so that you've suddenly got this space to worship and pray and, and, and maybe read a book of the Bible and see what God has to say to you through his spirit. Just, just, it's about that finding space uh, so that our hearts can can worship. It's not about trying to do it for other people, it's trying to draw near to God. And I do you know what, if you fast regularly, I'd love to come and speak to me afterwards, I'd love to hear your wisdom on that, about how that works. So we, maybe we can share that together. Fasting is good, but it is also just for a, a time. Uh, we've got to remember, haven't we? Remember we've, we've talked about the bridegroom. He is coming back, and in Revelation it talks about the, the wedding feast of the Lamb. That, that when Jesus returns, it will be glorious. The time of fasting will have passed. So that's fasting. What about the Sabbath? What about the Sabbath? Uh, Christians differ in this area. I'm not going to kind of wade into this too much because there are some who say it's a, it's a command. We must still obey the Sabbath. There are others who may not agree with that. We can talk about that another time. But the key thing is the principle that Jesus lays out here, isn't it? That the Sabbath is for our good. It is good to rest. It's good to, to, to take a break from our regular work, our regular activities, and worship God. And it's for our good. It's, a, it's an important principle, isn't it, to rest. It's right there in, in creation. We've always had this pattern of, of work and rest. Because we are limited beings. We're not God. And because Christ has saved us, because our hearts are safe in him, we can rest. We can trust him with that. So let me encourage you, whatever you think about the Sabbath, to, to, to prioritise rest. To take a proper day off when you can. And I'm, I'm encouraged by the church to do the same. To somehow switch off and work and then use that space to meet with Jesus. Uh, younger ones here, if you're studying, school and that sort of thing. Why not take a day off from your studies, from, from uh, your, your, your work? Not a school day be clear you can't just say I'm, t- I'm having that one as a sabbath actually <laughs> that would be a bit cheeky wouldn't it but it's good to, to pause and say yeah actually I, I don't need to work today because i'm trusting jesus obviously it's a matter of the heart sometimes we can get too religious about it again jesus it's the, the, the look at the look at the meaning that is to do good it's for our good if there are things that, that we should do that, that are for our good then, then that's okay but sometimes we can kind of just spiral, can't we? Think, I've got so much on, I've just got to keep working, I've got to keep doing it, I've got to keep doing this, keep doing that. And it's all about what I do, rather than about trusting God. And actually then stopping and resting and saying, do you know what, I can't do all of this. But actually, Jesus has saved me. And that, remembering that, taking the, finding the space to remember that, will change everything. It gives us that hope and, and that, that strength. So let me encourage you, yeah, to, to think about that as well. There's lots here, isn't there? There's lots in this passage that I know. 
we've just really touched the surface today. We need to grasp this, this big idea that Jesus is bringing something new. He saves us in a new way that we are saved by his love and his grace. He is Lord of our, all our lives. So we should, we should examine our hearts, shouldn't we? We should ask for God's help to show us areas that maybe have become too important to us, that we start becoming a bit legalistic over, start becoming like the Pharisees, that become too essential to earning God's approval instead of just trusting Jesus. And we might need to come in repentance and faith and, and confess those things, those desires to kind of prove ourselves and say, I just need to receive the love of Jesus. And that's what we do. We, we, when we come to Jesus, we find open arms and love and grace. And there's a warning, isn't there, to not be like the Pharisees, to not be proud and not to listen and think somehow the old way is better. And let me finish by, by speaking to you if you're not a believer, if you're not following Jesus at all. Maybe you've decided to reject anything to do with him and you prefer to go your own way and think, no, I don't, I don't want to know. Jesus came, you see, to bring a new way a new way of a free gift of life and he offers it out to you and all you have to do is, 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 is come to him and say sorry for your sin and, and turn to him what a wonderful gift it is there's nothing else that offers hope that certain hope like that there's lots of things we strive after that, that leave us wanting more but if you come to Jesus there's that, that certainty and you can do it today pray with someone after the service shall we pray and just ask for God's help to take these things in. Father, we, we thank you so much that Jesus is the bridegroom, that we, we can celebrate because we uh, have been saved and he's given all that is needed. Thank you that he is Lord of the Sabbath, that he is in control. We can trust him completely. Lord, I just pray that you'd be with us this week, this month, as we walk out from this place, that we would seek to follow you from our hearts, not in any sense to kind of earn your approval, but because you already approve of us. It seems crazy because we know our sin, and yet you have loved us and welcomed us and made us new. And Lord, would that be the thing that, that, that we rely on, that, that we hold on to is your love for us, that that would help us to, to respond in obedience with joy from the heart, and not to, to kind of be judgmental or become like the Pharisees. Please help us, Lord. Please convict us by our spirit and change us. Amen.